0: Anything uh, anybody would like to share? Anything came up during lunch or during the experience of trying to think about your values?
1: What's front and center for all of you at this point in time? I find it excruciating to try to limit the values to three.
2: while I could cross out certain things like um, wealth and uh, a few easy ones, not that I would repel it exactly, but it wasn't the highest value, I just found that much of the list included things that it would be very hard to say they weren't equally important, and they're all so woven together. So I really found myself wondering why one has to limit it to three.
0: Thank you. Um, Well, first of all, I think you made a good point. Many of those, it depends on how you interpret the words and the values, many of those are all interrelated. Um, James and I were talking about, you know, what are our values, and mercy is one of mine, but it's really very closely related to compassion. Um, And actually, the way we came up with this particular list is over the years, we've been adding terms and words and values that people have brought up. Oh, this is what I really care about it and they didn't see it on the list so we would take one off and put another one on um it was just the way our way of, of best doing it but uh the reason uh in fact i'm going to go take this next step after a few seconds is to really uh ask you would if you really think you can identify your top values maybe there's six maybe there's who knows are you really living those out and you know if you are if in the middle of a distressing situation you're really trying to to follow those values. And if you're not, if you find out you don't, aren't following, trying to live out those values, you have to ask yourself, are those really my core values? Is there other core values that are really, this is something I aspire to, but they're not really how I want to live or am living my life. Uh, And so it's just a way to sort of make it easier to ask people to sort of look at that question. I think there's probably more, we all have way more than three core values, absolutely. But it was a way to sort of help people sort of simplify how they think about their, uh, the extent to which they're capable of being aware of and living out the way in which they'd like to live in and exist in the world. Other thoughts? How many of you found that you that you were able to see yourself living out those values in this distressing situation next time it emerges or next time you have to address it or deal with it. Can anybody willing to share how that would what, what what would happen? what what would be the consequence or the outcome what what would that experience be like? Yeah, living them out next time you're dealing with it or the next time you bring it up. Nan, can we bring the microphone up here? Oh. Oh. Nan. Nan. Can we bring the
3: microphone up here? Um, what it com- occurs for me or what I experience inside is a certain no matter what. No matter what. Um, around core, like... No matter what, God by whatever name, spiritual evolution. No matter what, you know that is like my whole. I'm inextricably linked, making everything an opportunity for spiritual growth. That is like a core value. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a certain place where I feel like a stand amidst no matter what. That I wouldn't. It would be such a grievous. What would be betrayal or something of everything that I am? that When it gets to that kind of thing, mm-hmm. then that's when I know.
0: Okay. That's a core value. Good. Good. Thank you. I saw somebody else raise in the back. Yeah, Ernie. No, Ernie, go ahead.
3: Um, in some ways, I find it frustrating to um, live those core values uh, when I'm around people that don't appreciate or have those values in themselves. So. Um, I find it um, challenging to, or tricky, I guess, to be able to um, bring those, not sequest those, but to bring them out in an environment that I'm working with people who, on a day-to-day basis, um, don't value those or ha- you know have um, core values um, that um, would appreciate... Uh, and and encourage me and allow me to to you know bring those out on a day to day basis.
0: Thank you. So can I ask you some questions about that? Um if that's okay. Yeah. Can you imagine first of all are you sure that people around you would not feel good or would not respond well if you act played out your core values?
3: I've been I've lived out the, um, um, the backlash I'd say of in the past of attempting to bring those out in a way that um, would be um, I, I would thought would be beneficial to others but um, weren't interpreted that way.
0: So you just said would be beneficial to others right. What about if it's beneficial to you? Are they picking up that you're trying to get them to do something in some way?
3: No, I mean, not particularly. It's just um, the expectations, I guess, of how you know I should present myself or to um, respond to things in a way that's against my core values, I yeah. guess is what I'm saying.
0: Just one other question. So, do you can you see a way to actually live out your core values without um, and stay consistent with them without necessarily getting that kind of reaction from others? Well,
3: I do. I mean, it's a it's a struggle, seriously, on a day to day Mm -hmm. day -day basis because um, you know that's my goal and intention. But um, a lot of times, I'm you know not able to do so. So, it's 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 always a work in progress for me Mm -hmm. and a challenge for me. Okay.
0: Thank you.:
4: It's like the, the Buddha saying, um, seek out the company of like-minded friends and, and the wise, and try to avoid, as best you can, uh, company of the foolish. Uh, but as you get more rooted in your own practice or uh, in, in uh, embodying that, you actually can affect those around you sometimes, sometimes. The Buddha was was one of his names is uh, the teacher of those who can be taught, and not everybody could even get it from him. So, cut yourself some slack.
0: <laughs> but I want to just say one more thing. That again, often I find I, fi- I find myself doing this that implicitly, even I want to I want to share my values with somebody else, with others. In order to get them to agree with me, to live in the same way, to act in the same way, and I always get a backlash, um, or, or almost always. So, the more you can just be the value, without worrying about how it comes across, how it affects others, you just be the value. Um, it, you you might have you might feel better about yourself, and some people might resonate some others won't but just be the value rather than having some intent as as implicit as it is to to urge others to to think about that we had an Ernie no um,
2: I have like 17 of them <laughs> and uh, and and then I asked my partner you know which one uh, that they we're going to live their core value to when it was service. <clears throat> and I thought, well, why can't I just simplify it down to one? <laughs> and then I realized that uh, it's an ongoing change for me. It's, it's um, like family it was real important when my kids were growing up. And um, now it's extended family, so it's changed. And, um, uh, and then uh, studying the Dharma more and meditating more I'm, compassion is more important to me now, too. So I think as as I continue to live my life, um, it's going to be uh, changing and an ongoing process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, it's certainly when we're young, our values are different than when we get older and, uh, and when we have kids and we have families. It's, it all definitely changes so but just so the point of this is to be aware of the things you really care about that may help you feel good about who you are and how you're living in the world that's what our values are about Um, and they help us uh, clarify how if there's something to learn from the experiences we're having they help you stay grounded in a way that allow us to learn and grow and find meaning in the experiences we're having, if we stay grounded in those core values, if we become aware of it. Uh, and they also help us grieve. That uh, it's really, if we stay grounded in, in being those values as much as we can, we're much more able to, to to feel the pain of things around us or things we might have just done that uh, are inconsistent with that, but then come back to the value come back to how we want to live our lives, come back to who we want to be in the midst of those experiences. Um, and just try to stay grounded in it as much as you can. Again, that that distress might not leave or it might leave and then come back. It certainly might be diminished. but by staying grounded in your values, you are very much more likely to be able to then say, how do I find meaning and direction and hope and joy actually? This is because that's where I get my joy, living out my core values. You know, we all know that mat- buying more material stuff and all that, that's, that's not really what drives happiness. It's feeling good about ourselves, feeling like we have a meaning and purpose in life, and that's so centered in living out the the way in which we think is really important, that's really valuable to us. Other Final. So yeah. For, oh, yeah. We're yeah, getting we, late here. So okay. So we
4: got a few things to do. Well, okay. We're yeah. going to
0: do. That. So I want to uh, l- let's. Uh, I want to respond to a couple things, and then we're going to talk about how do you pull this together in what we call harvesting hope. Um, uh, but um, uh, I want to share with you how I deal with the dr- distress of climate change and uh, some of these other issues. James and I were talking about this, so I'll just uh, share some of these experience. First of all. Um, just, uh, I was trained as a counseling psychologist and worked in the juvenile court system, my first training right out of college. I was the, uh, one guy, you know, with a, with a degree, I didn't know anything really. I was the juvenile, uh, delinquency prevention specialist for all of West Lane County. You know, what, I didn't know a thing, right? You know, <laughs> I had some training, <laughs> go out and prevent juvenile delinquency. Um, yeah, that's basically, you know, um, and, uh, uh, I don't know if I ever did it, but I had been a river guide uh, in summers all my life. Uh, and so we started doing outdoor stuff with kids. But then I completely burned out. I couldn't, couldn't tell the difference anymore between a healthy family and, and an unhealthy family. It was just one of those things that I was so young, I didn't have that ability to do that. That was actually before we started meditation. So um, I went and started a river guiding company. I thought I'd just do this for one summer just to detox um and we were successful we did it for another summer ended up running a company for about eight years and met my wife there and all that and in the midst of doing that we started to see and we we ran all over the pacific northwest and on the salmon in idaho and, and other places even a little bit on the grand canyon and i started to see the rivers start to be degraded pollution fish dying and all sorts of things and it just really started to to really bother us um and one of the clients we had, uh, we, we used to do trips for environmental and nature organizations. It was a Nature Conservancy and then a group called the Columbia Gorge. I can't remember what they were calling but they were tri- working on protection for the Columbia Gorge. So they were on the trip, and this woman, Marie Mentor, came up to me and said, you ought to go talk to the local senators about you know, doing something to protect the rivers. So she set up this meeting with a guy named Mark Hatfield, who at the time, Oregon Senator Mark Hatfield, longtime senator, which is known for not being a strong environmentalist. He was sort of a timber guy. Uh, we went, went in and met with him. I was trained in you know, counseling psychology. I didn't know anything about politics and really had no interest in it. And he got really interested in and I didn't know about this. Really? Fish are dying and it's polluted? I didn't, I didn't know about it. So it took a couple of months, but he said, let's do something in Congress to, to make this, to change this. And the long and the short of it is um, after it it took about nine months of that and then he took it to Congress we ended up passing within a year the largest river protection act in the nation's history. The Oregon Rivers, Oregon Wild and Scenic Rivers National Act then it was extended two years later even more. Out of the blue. Never in my wildest dream did I think that was possible or even imagine that I would be doing it. Uh, And it That's the first thing that stuck in my mind when I think about climate change and other things. Things happen out of the blue that you cannot uh, expect, Um, uh, because I've experienced it. You know, so that's how one of the things I keep in mind. Well, that happened. Then uh, uh, a second uh, element happened. There uh, was—I don't know if many of you follow this—but there had been timber wars in the Pacific Northwest for you know 20 years, leading to gridlock and basically a shutdown of the federal forest uh, in Oregon and Washington uh, in Northern California. And we were part of that, my, one of the organizations I was part of, uh, we were focused on the salmon, the aquatic part of it. We had filed endangered species petitions uh, for endangered salmon, and, you know, because we said enough is enough. Um, and uh, then uh, Clinton gets elected president, and he holds a, a summit. Up in uh, Oregon, uh, Northwest Timber Summit. Within, um, I think it was uh, two months after he took over, and he had teed it up ahead of time. And we were working with a whole bunch of folks inside. So he, he said after the, he, when the summit was over, which basically meant everybody got a chance to tell everybody, you know, the public what they thought. He ordered a team of scientists to develop a new plan for managing and sustaining. Uh, uh, forest and aquatic systems on public lands in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, We played a pretty important role on the aquatic side, but lo and behold, that plan is still in effect. Uh, Now, they might try to tweak it and and dink it, but I don't think they're going to get rid of it. And uh, the forests are coming back slowly. Fish have recovered in some ways, in many ways, not everywhere, because they also run on uh, private lands, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and on ocean conditions. But change happened um, in a way that I never would have expected. And I was able to play a small role in those uh, changes and see it firsthand and go, hmm, you know, nobody would have ever thought the Northwest Forest Plan would have come down the pike. Uh, and been maintained for 20 years you know uh, even in the other Bush administration they were not able to 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 do much to it so we'll see what happens so that's one way in which i keep uh, that it, uh, hope in mind and keep uh, and, and, and help with the grieving on the other hand when it comes to climate change which i've been working on pretty extensively now the last 15 years almost i know the situation we're in as all of you do it's it's not pretty. Um, but at the same time, because uh, because I know it's possible technically to reduce climate change to manageable levels, we have the capacity. We don't need to invent some other new technology uh, to, to address the issue. We have the tools. We have the skills now. It's cultural. It's political. It's about the way we think, and it's the speed of change, etc. Um, that gives me hope. And when I link that with my experience in the past that things out of the blue can happen. That's how I keep going, although that sense of grieving and, 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 and gloom is always there below that. Um, and part of that is that we have to acknowledge we are going to hit 2 degrees Celsius temperature increase. Um, that is now in the can, no matter what the Paris Accord says, um, but even one of the best scientific organizations in the in the world, the Potsdam Institute in Germany, said yes, we're going to hit it, but we can actually bring it down below that pretty quickly um, if we really uh, get aggressive. So I'm optimistic in that way too. We are we are going to we can bring it back down with the right commitment, with the right strategies, etc. Um, and so then the question is, well, what what will happen with uh, this new president. Um, uh, and so I go back again to, I just look at my experience in part. Um, the current uh, uh, Attorney General or uh, Supreme Court Justices, nom- the nominee Gorshat, his mother ran the Environmental Protection Agency for, for the first two years under, under Bush. People don't remember that and they haven't brought that. She was a complete catastrophe and was gone in two years, uh, run out, basically. And uh, so that's another thing that I remember. You know, look, uh, this was the time when uh, Watt took over as his Secretary of Interior. She was at EPA. It was under under Bush, under the, uh, uh, Ra- wasn't
4: uh, Reagan? Bush Bush it? it was under Reagan. No, I think it was Bush, or, I think it was like 80, yeah, yeah, like It was mid eighty six, I think, or eighty.
0: No, 80. it was uh, it was before Clinton. So um, yeah. yeah, whatever. the The point is that we think. It's, you know, this guy Pruitt is the worst thing in the world. He, they will try, and they will make some dents. I think the noise is going to be greater than the, the actual impacts. Um, and she had to... She, she was booted. Uh, she, was she basically was, had to she was resign. Yeah. She, well, she had to resign eventually. Yeah, she, she just had so much chaos, so many mistakes, so many people angry with her. She just, um, so um, I... Uh, and, and then you look at the healthcare experience we just had. Who would have thunk, right? Everybody thought this was going to flash through Congress, um, and it didn't. Uh, So uh, I just wanted to share a perspective in terms of we don't know what will happen, number one. We don't even know how fast things can happen. My experience in my work has been it happens just out of the blue sometimes. And what looks like the worst Often ends up not ending up that way, and might even end up catalyzing a lot of good. Right. Um, so, and that, uh, you want to share yours too? Yeah.
4: Yeah. Uh, when we were uh, I, we were talking, I and, and we thought it would be important for to see how how to possibly hold this without going under in your mind and in your heart, and so. Bob was sharing his perspective and, uh, and I shared mine. I've written about it in a, a couple of different articles. Um, for me, uh, basic buddha dharma, suffering wakes us up. Or can wake us up. We very rarely are woken up unless we have to be. And uh, Unless you start going in one direction and say, yeah, this feels really good. But suffering does wake us up. and um, We will wake up as a, not just the, the people who watch Rachel Maddow or who are, uh, who are progressives or whatever. Everyone, including the climate deniers, will be woken up Sooner or later, yes. mm-hmm. I've often thought that it might be Miami going under, or something happening in a first-world country, on the order of happened in Pakistan a few years ago, when twenty percent of the country went underwater, and people read that and say, "Oh, that's so awful!" And what's what's for lunch? Or um, but when it, it hits close to home. Sooner or later, we are all going to wake up to this reality. And the way I see it, whatever we can do to make it on the sooner side rather than the later side will be worthwhile our our time and energy spent. So you don't know when, but as long as you're doing what you can to make it on the sooner side, bef- you know, to uh, to mitigate or uh, or or, or uh, not get to that point of ultra catastrophe, you're doing your part, and if you can do it from caring and love and listening and understanding and being really skillful. Uh, entering into the conversation rather than othering, um, then um, then you're doing something really valuable, and others like to join the party, uh, just like all of these town hall meetings and uh, that have, that have happened that that change things. And I grew up in the '60s, and when when uh, you know a counterculture really did make a difference. And this isn't counterculture. This is mainstream culture. So you never know and what, a, what a, an unfortunate thing to draw your conclusion to see, oh I know where this is going and what's going to happen. You don't know. All you can do is your part in the process and that is enough. If you try to do more than your part in the process you get burned out, but if you say, "Well, I'll, I'll just—I uh, don't know—there's nothing much to do," then you um, you don't see the possibility of what Bob experienced and what others experience. So sooner or later, why not go for sooner?
0: All right. So we never know what's going to happen in our own lives in the world, um, uh, and uh, that's part of the. Fun part of the joy. I mean, this is you know, if we can approach it from that perspective, uh, what a ride, you know? What a wild ride, you know? Uh, and I think it's also true on the social and ecological and other issues. We really don't know yet uh, what how this is going to play out, um, and some funny things could happen, but that we didn't expect. But the most important thing is how do we want to approach it? How do we want to handle ourselves? Hold ourselves? And, and and engage in life with those issues going on. So I want to do one more ex, uh, little exercise here and have you sort of come, bring it together in your own mind, the kinds of issues we've talked about today, uh, and have you sort of develop a strategy to harvest hope for yourself uh, uh, as you move forward in life. Um, And we're going to do this through a a short exercise that I call the miracle question. Some of you might know the miracle question, Um, but uh, and if so, if you would um, just sort of get yourself in a relaxed uh, position, we'll we'll just go inside for a few moments. And when you're ready, just sort of uh, relax, settle into the chair, sit in a nice, comfortable yet dignified (laughs) position. And just follow your breath for a few seconds just to center yourself and be within yourself, just noticing what's happening within you and even around you. Just notice any sounds you hear.
1: Just notice what's happening. I'd like you to imagine yourself going to sleep tonight
0: and in the middle of a night a miracle occurs. You suddenly are able to do whatever you want to help heal the world in a way in which you cannot fail are able to do whatever you want to heal the world in a way that you cannot fail what would that be
1: what would it look like what would you do specific goal or project
0: or projects would you engage in where you knew you could not fail? You wake up in the morning and you're completely and utterly capable of doing it. What project, what goal,
1: what activities would you engage in? As you engage in those activities or projects,
0: how would you handle yourself? How would you care for yourself? And how would you care for the distress and pain and grief you see
1: out there in the world? engage in those activities or those projects?
0: How would you interact with other people?
1: How would you engage with other people? How would you engage... With the natural environment all around you? What would you do with the natural environment? You're willing to try to capture all that
0: in your mind. And in your body, right now, a miracle is occurring. When you wake up tomorrow, you're able to engage in activities, assist or interact with other people, interact with the natural environment, and care for yourself in a way in which you cannot fail. Is that? What would it look like and
1: how would you know that it's happening? Ready, go back and just follow your breath if you're
0: willing. Just place your attention on yourself breathing, watch
1: yourself breathing. When you're ready, you can come back to the room. I'd like to suggest that you take a few moments now and write
0: down what you experienced. You cannot fail. Whatever you decide now, you have the capacity to do for yourself, for other people, for the natural environment. What is it? And how would you know you're doing it? So that when you wake up tomorrow, you've got the plan. Why don't we? uh, Why don't you share what you came up with now? And let's go triads now—just three people. If you haven't met somebody, you might want to see if you can couple up with them and just share what that was like, what you experienced, what what you think you can do now for yourself and for others and the natural environment.
4: So,
0: um,
4: just a few more things uh, before we end. one thing that I wanted to share with you from from this book that I mentioned before, uh, I think all of these are in the bookstore. I'm not, I'm not sure, but this one is from uh, Joanna Macy and Chris Johnstone, Active Hope. Really excellent, and she is a very inspiring being, Active Hope. I'll share the, the books that I've been inspired by, besides, of course, From Me to We and Transformational resilience. Uh, Joanna's book, this is a really um, moving book by Andrew Harvey called The Hope A Guide to Sacred Activism. This got me going for a while and is still with me. It's really excellent. Andrew Harvey, The Hope A Guide to Sacred Activism. Um there's a book written uh, by one of the people who is here as uh, works as a manager often on retreats. If you sit up the hill, you probably uh, have met Carrie Nelson, who also is uh, one of the main forces in the Green committee uh, staff at Spirit Rock here who uh, we we are a very green organization, have gotten lots of uh, acknowledgement for. How conscious we are! All of our energy is—we uh, produce all of our energy. The solar panels up on the hill, so we don't—we uh, don't take away, uh, we don't draw, uh, we put back. Uh, but she wrote a book, a really excellent book called "One Small Difference." It's down there in the bookstore. <laughs> Step into action for a better world. And it's the it's a book. It's not just about climate change. She's been an activist for oh, 20 plus years, and she's just m- been motivated in the last couple of years to to do all of this work. And it's it answers the question: I want to do something, but I don't know where to begin. So one small difference by Carrie Nelson. Um, and um, there's a, a book I don't have with me that I, Bob and I have mentioned uh, called The Green Boat by Mary Pifer, P-I-P-H-E-R. Same author as um, uh, Reviving Ophelia, but uh, she's a really excellent, The Green Boat by Mary Pifer. And if you, this is the book that got me going earth by Bill McKibben, uh, uh, I, I don't know but Bill McKibben he's 350.org and one of the most important people on the planet I would say Earth with two A's but anyway back to um, this is from Joanna this is called um, this is a, a prophecy a Tibetan prophecy the Shambhala prophecy that was given to her, uh, shared with her by a, a Tibetan master, um, a Chog, Chogyal Duga Chogyal uh, Rinpoché, not Chogy- Chogyal Trumpa Duga Chogyal Rinpoché. And this was, this is uh, from, uh, this is 12 centuries ago. This prophecy um, was told. <coughs> There comes a time when all life on earth is in danger. At that time great powers have arisen, barbarian powers, and although they waste their wealth in preparations to annihilate one another, they have much in common. Among the things they have in common are weapons of unfathomable destructive power and technologies that lay waste to the world. This is from 12 centuries ago. It is just at this point in our history when the future of all beings seems to hang by the frailest of threads that the kingdom of Shambhala emerges. You can't go there because it is not a place. It exists in the hearts and minds of the Shambhala warriors. You can't tell whether someone is a Shambhala warrior just by looking at her or him, because these warriors wear no uniforms or insignia. They have no banners to identify whose side they're on, no barricades on which to climb to threaten the enemy or behind which to rest and regroup. They don't even have any home turf. The Shambhala warriors have only the terrain of the barbarian powers to move across and act on. Now the time is coming when great courage is required of the Shambhala Now the time is coming when great courage is required of the Shambala warriors, moral and physical courage. That is because they are going right into the heart of the barbarian powers to dismantle their weapons. They're going into the pits and citadels where the weapons are made and deployed. They are going into the corridors of power where the decisions are made. In this way, they work to dismantle the weapons in every sense of the word. The Shambhala warriors know these weapons can be dismantled because they are manomaya, which means mind-made. They are made by the human mind and thus can be unmade by the human mind. The dangers facing us are not brought on us by some satanic deity or some evil extraterrestrial force or by some unchangeable preordained fate. Rather, these dangers arise out of our relationships and habits, out of our priorities. So, now is the time for the Shambhala warriors to go into training, said Chogyo. Rinpoche. How do they train? Joanna asked. He replied, they train in the use of two implements. Actually, he used the term weapons. What are those weapons? Joanna asked. And he held up his hands the way the dancers hold up the ritual objects in the great lama dances of his people. One, he says, is compassion. The other is insight into the radical interdependence of all phenomena. You need both. You need compassion because it provides the fuel to move you out of where you need to be, move you out to where you need to be and to do what you need to do. It means not being afraid of the suffering of your world. And when you're not afraid of the world's pain, then nothing can stop you. But by itself, that implement is very hot. It can burn you out. So you need the other tool, the insight into the radical interconnectivity of all that is. When you have that, then you know that this is not a battle between the good guys and the bad guys. You know that the line between good and evil runs through the landscape of every human heart. And you know that we are so interwoven in the web of life that even our smallest acts have repercussions that ripple through the whole web beyond our capacity to see. But that is kind of cool, even a little abstract, so you also need the heat of the compassion. The Shambhala prophecy. You can actually get that online too. I just put in Shambhala Prophecy, Joanna Macy would would do it.
1: Thank you, Bob. Mm.
4: Go forth (laughs) (laughs) with love.